Welcome to Whisper Town, provocative topics discussed freely. My name's Anthony, and I've got Stephen with me here today. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you, Anthony. How are you going? Are you enjoying the weather? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, 27 degrees today? Exactly. It's a bit, a bit too much for me, being in the house. Summer is back. We might actually get a summer this year, now that they've uh, starting to relax the uh, lockdown rules. Yeah, I heard Mr. Johnson make his uh, announcements. I actually tuned in to the uh, parliamentary session uh, around midday-ish to hear some of the changes to the lockdown rules in advance of the uh, daily update this evening. Do you know what? Since we've been in lockdown, I've only listened to two daily briefings. I listened to the first one. And then I listened to the one where he was telling everybody off for not adhering to the lockdown. <laughs> so there's okay. only two. I actually planned to, to watch today's one, but I just thought, well, from what I'm hearing, people are ignoring his instructions anyway. So, um, yeah, whatever happens, happens. Indeed. Okay, so today's episode is called The Old Abnormal. And I think we should just have a general chat about what's next, basically. There's probably five or six areas that I wanted to kind of talk through with you. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, be beautifully timed, quite very topical, uh, yeah. based on the relaxation, relaxation of lockdown and seeming like there's an end in sight. So I think a lot of people would have a lot of thoughts about what life looks like after and um, aside from you know not you're not listening to a lot of the updates I'm sure you'd have seen um, in, in publications a lot of the talk around the new normal and in inverted yeah. you know in quotes so yeah there should be a good discussion so there's actually one that I want to talk to you about that wasn't on the list that I wanted to talk to you about. And it's the most obvious one, which is health. Ah, uh, yes. And I'll be honest and say that over this period, I've certainly been thinking about my health a lot more, um, which is probably a bit unsurprising. And what changes... I need to make my family to make day to day um, to give us more of a chance or a better chance of being able to naturally fight off any diseases and infections. So just standard stuff, exercise, diet and everything like that. But what broad changes do you see happening 
over the next couple of months because there's certainly going to be something. Yeah. And we're hearing news of vaccines being trialed and things like that. And there is this issue with vaccines where for many different reasons, for many different communities, taking a vaccine isn't an attractive option. So that in itself might be a bit sort of controversial. But yeah, aside from that, you know, what changes do you think we're going to have to make with regards to, to health? Well, I think uh, this, the, you know, the COVID-19 uh, global pandemic has highlighted a lot, a lot of things in terms of general hygiene practices. Um, it's highlighted uh, a lot of either health deficiencies in people and it sort of sparked sort of different mini revolutions in terms of health, health and people's attitudes towards health. Now, transition into a situation whereby you weren't allowed to go out, but the time that you were allowed to go out was to walk, cycle, whatnot for an hour. So what I noticed in a lot of you know, my area is I noticed a lot of people whom over the years I've never really seen out walking <laughs> on any sort of regular basis, out walking on a regular basis. Now that's yeah. that thing about captivity, right? So yeah. if you're if you're subject subjected to the same environment for an extended period of time, right? Even if you aren't necessarily one to take exercise, you find yourself going out for that hour, going for that walk, which was which was great in in of itself because yeah, you know, for a lot, a lot of the people I've seen, it seems like it's sort of kickstarting um, their their sort of health regime just by default, you know, unintentionally, but it's the yes. only thing that you can do. It's not like you could go to a pub or you can go to your friends or do anything else. The only thing you could do going out, outside of, you know, your own back garden and so forth, is walk or cycle or run. Yeah. If you felt that way inclined. Um, for me, the most uh, amusing person that I actually seen, uh, saw, was uh, a lady who was effectively power walking um in of itself that was perfectly fine yeah but at the same time as power walking she also seemed to be power smoking which <laughs> which was the most bizarre <laughs> thing that i'd seen so she was walking with this significant intensity and vigor and pace in her stride oh, but at no. the same time she was puffing on that cigarette with the same intensity and pace and vigor, which was just the amu most amusing thing that I'd seen. I thought it was a one-off, but I, I saw her on three separate occasions doing that same thing. Anyhow, well, it's the equivalent of, uh, well, getting a Big Mac and answer for a Diet Coke. You might as well just go full <laughs> fat. Right. So, okay. So, yeah. So, I started noticing some of that sort of evolution and revolution in terms of what uh, people did outside if you yeah. track through the daily briefings when they spoke about uh the transport the varying modes of transport and you know the reduction in use as 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 they wanted in terms of use of public transport and so forth but then you saw that sharp uptake in cycling and running activities 
Yeah. Now, shout out to Google for mining mining our data and providing the government with a way of tracking where you are and how long <laughs> and how long you were there. Um, people people <laughs> are re- people are re- resistant to using a track and trace app where you voluntarily tell tell people where you are but happy to sign up to Google and every other service which tracks and provides your information freely. That's a slightly different subject. I'm going off piste a little bit, so I'll bring, well, it, back to the, bring it back to the health issue. You might not be, because um, one of the things that have come out in the last week is that our esteemed politicians have now given up on their own contract tracing app and are now potentially defaulting to an app created by either Google or Apple. So I think we're probably going to come back to that one. Yeah, because there's there's the difference in the type of technology that they were reliant on in terms of uh, being able to contact, wasn't it? Um, yeah. But yeah, as you said, we'll come back to that. Um, so we had the the shift in exercise. What we then had with all of the gyms closing, we had sort of the rise and rise of online training um, via YouTube and other live streaming platforms uh, such as Instagram, for instance, where a lot of you know famous personal trainers and, and personalities actually put on live shows that people followed along to. Yeah. Joe Wicks, for example, he ran his you know nine a.m. I believe it was uh, school yeah. training uh, training sessions. Which, to be honest with you, I know more adults who who tuned in to that than school kids did. Um, those you know, sessions weren't actually easy. I, I had to do some for my daughter. They they were not easy. Oh well, see, there there you go. Um, case in point. So I I know a few kids who who did it. My my friends whose uh, children partook in it, and they said that yeah, they they did a couple of them, but then they left they left the kids to it. Um, but you know, so a lot of that sort of happened, um, and a lot of people turned to that as a form of exercise in light of the gyms being closed. So yeah. this is this for me is an interesting one in terms of that aspect of health. It's going to be how have people's attitudes changed towards fitness? So whereas before you would encounter a lot of people, I don't know about yourself, but I encountered people who always said to me like, oh, do you know what? Yeah, I, I, I really don't like the gym. You know, I, 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 I don't think I can really get along with it. I don't like the environment. You know, there's either it's either too testosterone laden or, you know, it's too busy or I can't deal with fighting to get onto a machine or, you know, all of these things. Um, but here we have now the part of the grand grand social experiment, as I as I call it all, where you have everyone on mass exploring and discovering new ways of exercising and keeping fit. So, as I said, we had the increase in advent of the the new walkers and new cyclists, as uh, yeah. as I'll call them, um, and those who found online, you know, uh, materials that they can do in the comfort of their own home and actually get a pretty significant workout. Again, yeah. depending on your starting point and level of fitness. Um, I don't know about yourself, but I had my gym membership, which I used, let's say, semi regularly. Um, yeah. I uh, don't know what your fitness uh, program was like, but, you know, these well, sort of things have sort of come up. Um, well, for me, I ha- got my Samsung Galaxy Watch in January with a view of increasing my exercise activity and being able to track 
my health data on a day-to-day basis. Um, so I was consistent with it to a point, but it kind of depended on what else was happening in life, i.e. day-to-day work and other stuff. But since everyone's been on lockdown, I have also had, or I've also been in a position where I have no excuse and I can't use time as an excuse. So I have to say my exercise levels have gone up. I have become one of the new cyclists. Um, so the cycle that has been in my garage for two years, not really being used, pretty much was coming out every day at 5 a.m. to go for a two-hour ride. So I'm one of the new ones. Um, and I can say that I've been encouraged by the additional time um, to to take health a bit more seriously. Yeah. And again, I think that's a crucial crucial element uh, of the the situation that we've lived through. So for all of the three plus hour daily commuters who yeah. working you know, who are now working from home, who've gotten that time back effectively. Yes, if you take off an hour because you're working slightly extra, but you know, you have a little bit more time. Plus yeah. just being at home all of the time, you have sort of more opportunity to do a lot of the things that you didn't necessarily do. So yeah, the uptake of, of exercise, and again, technology plays a phenomenal part in that. So all of the, the, the health, health fitness and tracking applications, uh, yeah. technologies, watches, etc., cetera, um, that have no doubt done very well during the period um, from, from online shopping purchases to deliver these things. Um, has has benefited. Now, in the latest announcement, um, indoor gyms and swimming swimming pools are still remain closed. But I think going forward, whilst we come, we get back to a position whereby they can reassess that against the five tests, as as Boris uh, dutifully lays out um, each one and our compliance with it to say that we can now successfully move to the next phase. Um, we'll eventually get to the opening of gyms. And I'm curious to see if there will be, okay, there will be an influx back, a flood, you know, flood back to the gyms for the diehard gym goers who haven't had any alternative option and, you know, um, trying to get back some of those hard-earned gains that they previously uh, attained. But I'm not sure that you'll see the usual post-Christmas, Happy New Year resolution <laughs> flood of people back to gyms necessarily. Um, given, as I said, the the people who've discovered working out at home via you know various streaming platforms or even just routines on YouTube and so forth. Yeah. Um, so those folks who had an aversion to the gym, for example, may not go back, but may be more inclined to actually continue with the exercise, particularly if they've seen some benefit from it. So exercise is obviously, you know, one one facet of, of health in terms of change going forward. So I think as well, there was the social element um, of the outdoor exercise, you know, even around walking and running and cycling to some of these to a lesser extent because they're faster and more vigorous. So conversation is slightly more difficult. But I think a lot of people have, you know, enjoyed walking with their friends and having conversations and being out 
either around nature, enjoying fresh air, um, the air which has been a little bit fresher uh, during this period of time, again, with the massive reduction in traffic on the roads. Yeah. Um, so a lot of things are noticeable from, from that respect. So that, that walking type activity, so even if you don't consider it, you know, you're going for exercise, but you're meeting friends to go for a walk and you're walking through different areas that you've not explored and, you know, yeah, embracing nature. I think that as a habit may actually stick with people. Yeah, um, I think so. A, a, a bit more. So typically, before all of all of the lockdown, people had the routines that they they had. You you met up with your friends, but they typically you'd meet up for friends at a restaurant or for food or for drinks, um, and you wouldn't very often say, "Hey, would you like to go and check out this new uh, you know this part of the nature reserve that we've not been to? I hear that it's beautiful. It's a nice walk. You know, yeah. we can go for a few miles and, and check it out." You might you might get the occasional there's a pub at the end of the road, um, <laughs> so we can stop and have a bite. It's halfway down, you know, it's four miles down, and then it'll be four miles back type thing. Um, so I, th- I think some of some of that will actually remain, which is only going to be a good thing. I but, think so. But the other major component um, to this is the food element of it. So, you know diet and exercise in terms of health they're 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 synonymous with one another you don't don't entertain one without the other and i think a lot of people again over this period have either learned to cook um cooked more and cooked a greater variety of things than they probably previously had um yes I, I I won't go out on a limb and say that everyone's now eating healthier because they are cooking at home. Um, <laughs> you can you can cook you know, have all your home cooked meals be equally as unhealthy as as eating out. So yeah. that's a subject of personal taste. But yes. I think a, a lot of people being put into a position whereby they've they've been encouraged to cook or eat at home will have will potentially have some benefit to it especially if it's twinned with any sort of exercise regime that you may have started yeah um because the onus is on the individual then so if you've developed any momentum with you know food and better habits and then exercise and better habits you may be more inclined to carry that on going forward yeah um so that was an interesting element of it i think a lot of people have also become more interested in uh vitamins so the so the more nutritional elements of of food specifically around vitamins so as you'll well be aware and um you previously discussed uh, in a, in another podcast, we're looking at vitamin D and yes. the, the benefits of that. Um, that was a that was a great uh, section in the podcast um, last week. Um, but you know, a lot of people are, are conscious of that, and all of the health food establishments are 
quite very aware of this. So if you go to Holland and Barrett now, they they will you know quite happily point you into the direction of the best deals on vitamin D and multivitamins and and so forth. So yeah. a lot of a lot of the COVID nineteen sort of fear has pushed people towards looking at different aspects of of health. So yes. if you hear it continuously that exercise is good for you. Good hygiene practices are good for you. Being healthy is good for you. Eating the right things are good for you. I think the fear factor from you know from COVID has sort of either made people more inclined or more aware potentially about it. I can't say yeah. that it's say that for certain, but my feeling and impression, and for myself personally, I would say that there's a greater awareness of these things. So. Going forward, I think some of these things will remain and people will sort of either continue in that vein or when the restaurants open, stop. Well, it's very interesting that you say that, Stephen, with regards to depending on personal preference. Because I went to Lakeside about a week and a half ago to pick up a laptop for my daughter. And I thought, oh, this is very unusual on a Saturday during lockdown that Lakeside is this busy. I mean, it was a couple of days of cr before Christmas busy. Okay. Really, really blocked up. I was thinking, why could this be? And I start inching forward very slowly. And I work out what the problem is. The problem is, is that there's a two or three mile queue for McDonald's. <laughs> so I'm trying to get to, to PC World, but both lanes have been blocked by people trying to get into the left lane, which is the long, long queue for the McDonald's because people are clearly dying to have something other than what they've been cooking. Yeah, it had it had it had been a period of time, right? And I think I, I I know a lot of people have had a particular vested interest in the reopening of various fast food establishments. <laughs> um, similar similarly at at the other end, um, I remember um, because they announced quite clearly when McDonald's was actually going to be shutting, um, and. I remember being out, I was going to another supermarket uh, in, a, in, a, in a state that has uh, both a McDonald's and a KFC. And as I approached the, the road, it was sort of like a, a, a U-bend road yeah. shaped sort of roundabout. So you have to go up past it and hook back round to come down to it. And as I approached, I was like, I got stuck sort of around the corner. I was trying to work out why, why, are, we, why are we here? And as I came to the top of the, of, of the U, or the bottom of the U, as you want to call it, yeah, I came around the corner and I realized, oh, that, that's why, exactly the same thing. There was a massive queue <laughs> for everyone going into McDonald's on the exactly. last day before it shut. Similarly, <laughs> the, day that, the day that they announced that they're back open, there was a massive queue for it. Um, so, yeah. You you'll always have you'll always have uh, 
you know, the, the, the diehard fans of various establishments who will go back uh, to it. No question. Um, of course. I think the interesting thing during the, the whole period um, as well is different restaurants um, have, have evolved their business practice to, to try and survive. So a lot of, you know, independent restaurants um, switch to sort of a takeaway style business. Yeah. Which, the, which they didn't previously have. And particularly for the um, big occasions that have occurred over the period. So the various bank holidays and Easter and things like that. Um, most recently, Father's Day on Sunday. You know, yeah. I know a lot of these restaurants have do their special menus for, the, for those days as a takeaway service. So I think... We haven't been completely devoid of options in terms of um, food that you haven't cooked yourself being available. Yeah. You may just have had to wait two and a half hours for it because there was quite a demand and, and, and queue. Um, but yeah, I think going looking forward in terms of in terms of health, you know, food, exercise, and all of these things, you'll have. Uh, a significant percentage who would return to a, a sort of state as before, um, because you know that is that is their their default setting that they can get away from, and they can't wait to get back to that. But you'll have a lot of people, I think, converted or converted is probably not the right word, who who will have adopted some better. Uh, practices in terms of nutrition and exercise, which is only a good thing. 100% agree. So, you talk about businesses adopting how they could serve their customers, i.e. the restaurants and small establishments, and it kind of brings us on to onto business itself in general. Yeah. So business is completely driven by supply and demand and we've been presented into a highly unusual scenario where for the majority of businesses there was no supply and there was no demand. During that lockdown period, the demand for oil went into negative territory, which I'm still trying to comprehend <laughs> what that actually means and how that actually works. And I haven't had the time to even sit down and understand that deeply. But we had a period, or it was it was for a day or so, where yeah. it was negatively priced. And I'm still trying to get my head around that because there was no supply. Or in the case of oil, um, ridiculous amount of oversupply with completely or next to no demand. Um, and yeah. that is oil for yeah. a commodity that essentially powers the planet. I, but I, I, I saw when I saw when that dip actually actually happened. Um, you know, I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about the volume of oil that is actually uh, pumped and processed in a yeah. day. We're we're talking about sort of millions of barrels of uh, 
of of oil that sort of is is you know taken out of the earth to be used and if you consider from a global point of view you know there was a global lockdown so transportation so the use of cars and public transport um aeroplanes all of these things yeah. were massively reduced you know all of a sudden but the oil production didn't cease <laughs> it slowed down quite a bit but it it didn't cease because yeah. uh, that's not the way it works so i think the negative value of oil was more of a a, a virtual state interesting if you were trading in it but it, yes. it was more more of a virtual state as opposed to i'm going to find the biggest tanker that i can go to shell and get them to pay me to take it off their hands you know it wasn't it didn't work like that in terms of it being like <laughs> negative you know they weren't giving it out to you for free uh the value of it just tipped the other way so yeah uh, sorry i, I interrupted okay yeah yeah, that's understood. That's understood. But I guess I I know a few people that have small businesses. I know a few people that have large businesses. We all are customers of large establishments which have been severely hit, and it's put a lot of pressure on every size of business that exists. And the government has try to or have tried to reduce the pain for lots of businesses um, there's been lots of grants and loans that the government have offered yeah, the fur- directly furlough scheme uh, and the furlough scheme of course which has certainly kept a lot of people who might have otherwise been made redundant employed and paid so the government has done their bit to try and help. But there are some concerns that I have for businesses as they return. And it's more skewed towards the small and medium business size rather than the big boys, the big PLCs. Um, mainly because there's a bias with regards to the small businesses, but... Some of the things that the government has done has kind of delayed the realisation of certain things that almost will happen because some of the support they've provided only extends the time frame of pain rather than removing the pain. So... I have a fear that we're going to get to around January and there will be a wave of small and medium enterprises going out of business if they haven't already gone out by that point and a wave filing for sort of administration at that point. And the reason why I predicted January, um, no, I would say January and March, or between January and March, for two reasons. There are some taxes that the government have allowed businesses and individuals to defer. Yeah. Um, which is good. However, the issue we have is 
three or four months of lost income is not going to be made up in terms of replacing that income before January for the majority of people. Yeah. So it was it was deference as opposed to writing off those yeah. taxes, right? So it it, it, was, exactly. it was still it is still pending. Um, Correct. But it's going to be pending under a set of circumstances whereby you've only just started operating again and subject to the nature of your business, you aren't operating to the same capacity as you previously were. So in particular, if you're in the, the restaurant uh, business, so with having to adhere to social distancing rules and, and so forth, you may be having, you know, serving less covers yeah. uh, and so forth. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, I think small, you know, small businesses in particular, you know, always suffer, particularly in industries and services where there are large, larger players. So small business atypically is overshadowed by the larger organizations for one. So it is important to support local businesses, uh, when, when you can, um, Again, you know, the usual complaints about, you know, going to small businesses is that the, the same, the same tagline that I've heard over, you know, over the past decade, at least it's that, oh, it's more expensive, you know, at, at that smaller shop. I'd rather go to the bigger place and get it cheaper. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, there are legitimate reasons why that is, but yes, you know. It's it comes down to semi sort of ethics and how you actually feel about supporting your community, um, yes, as, as well because that is someone's livelihood and ultimately if if that business goes that's someone someone's families uh, and a small subset of other people's families so the employees of those small businesses that ultimately suffer as well if they if they go bust, um, so their pain is quite very real and quite very acute um it's it's not you know it's not principally even limited to them uh, i think a lot of the larger even global companies have the potential to to suffer uh similar fates in some regards so as you mentioned um lakeside um earlier i think i'll i'll just reference the, the uh, parent company into Yes, um, yes. Who who uh, runs Lakeside and you know, the other was it Trafford Centre, etc. Yes. Um, so they are currently in a tenuous position whereby they may actually go into administration yeah. um, off of the back of this period. Which was, well, which, well, this this period obviously hasn't helped, but they had other uh, administrative issue. problems from beforehand. So yes. They were looking to be, uh, they were looking for additional funding, and they were due to raise uh, funds. But again, that was also put on hold as we went into the COVID period. So they were unable to raise the necessary funds to try and um, offset some of the, the some of their debt. So this has compounded uh, that for them. So as an entity, if they go into administration. If you think about the size of the businesses uh, that come under them and the potential impact there, so small, medium, and large 
you know, uh, can be affected, and all of these things will re reveal itself over the next uh, six months. No, I totally sure. agree. Totally agree. I mean, you're, you're quite right to highlight that it will have a detrimental effect to big business as well, and I'm not trying to diminish that at all. Um, I guess into, for example, oh, go on, Stephen. No, no. So, yeah, I, I wasn't, you know, don't, don't get me wrong, I wasn't saying it to sort of bring some balance to it. I think we all know that uh, you know, all, all the you know, businesses will be affected uh, from, you know, airlines, small and large, um, yeah. the job cuts that sort of come there. But, you know, I think it is important to actually root for the, for the, for the small guy, for the small businesses, 100%. you know, yeah. especially, you know, those who were, uh, who had only just gotten off the ground, I think those are the ones that I feel for because, you know, most businesses, as you, as you will know, in their infancy, so in the first two to three years, they yeah. typically aren't very profitable during that time. It's usually from years three and up that you start transitioning and generating, you know, more than your operating costs are. So... Yeah. If you just sort of started up and hit this period, then you know that's quite a painful position to be in. Yeah, yeah, no, totally agree, totally agree. So touching on big business, then, um, as soon as we went into lockdown, we heard about Fly B sort of going into administration, sort of like immediately. Yeah, and since then we've had some interesting acquisitions from the likes of the Boohoo group. Um, I think they bought Laura Ashley and another high street brand that hasn't come to my mind as I'm talking. Um, and we've heard about Richard Branson and his desire for a government bailout of Virgin Atlantic, which has been widely ridiculed for various reasons which you can google um now what's quite interesting is across europe right now lots of big businesses that quote unquote have national significance and or national importance across europe are actually being bailed out by their associated governments and we all know that the only certainty out of this lockdown is uncertainty itself in every dimension of life and business. And some businesses are essentially going to be subsidised by their governments to have a better chance to survive than they would have had without the assistance. And personally... I think it's grossly unfair for certain companies or certain industries to be bailed out in this scenario. Um, and that might be a sort of hard-line political view, which I don't intend it to be. I just don't think it's fair that certain industries or companies can receive help at a time where everybody needs help and others won't 
get support. So it's almost like a you help everybody or you help nobody scenario. Um, well, your 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 sentiment is synonymous with the two thousand eight nine financial crash, whereby the large financial institutions were bailed out at a governmental level to the tune of a hefty number of billions to ensure their su- survival. So the anecdotally, from the I think it was around five hundred. No, no. I was going to say 500 billion, but that sounds like a joke. I, I'm going to come back with that number because I, I pulled it out somewhere. Yeah, it, it was a significant number of, of billions, not, a, not, a, not an unnoticeable uh, amount. I, neither of us remember the number off the top of our heads. But there's the sentiment around why should, why should the government bail out these financial institutions when they're the ones who've caused all of this problem and headache that we're experiencing and that was mixed in with a lot of the payments of very large bonuses to a lot of the 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 heads of a lot of these institutions whilst everyone else was suffering they're receiving multi-million pound bonuses for their contribution and so forth whilst receiving several billion pounds from the government to ensure their existence. So um, so the sentiment is the same, but in this instance, compared to 2008-9, it's that the situation isn't doesn't hinge off of a single sector that's had a knock-on effect on everything else. The impact has been to every service and industry all at once which presents an entirely different challenge, I think, for the government. So I don't know how you help everyone in this, in this situation. So if you consider small, medium, large enterprise, and even if you applied an algorithm that tells you which are the most vital in terms of economic contribution, uh, employment, uh, security, or health, you know, risks that that need to be prioritized in terms of funding that they actually receive. It's it's a it's a significantly more challenging task, I'd say, that the government actually has. Um and it's one of those no no win sort of situations. Um because if you helped everyone, you would bankrupt the country effectively, uh, because we would then have to enter into a period of austerity um probably worse than the period that we actually went through uh, just now, because the amount of money that would be required to help out everyone um, would be astronomical. Is is my is is my is my opinion? I mean, we're, we're, we'd be into the trillions, right? And I I saw a publication yesterday that alluded to the 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 country being very close to being bankrupt. Um, I think was it last month or the month before? It said you know the the country had gotten quite close to actually being being bankrupt itself. So, well, it's interesting you say that, and you say astronomical numbers, and you quoted a trillion before trillions plural. Yeah, trillions. Yeah, right. And before you made those comments there, I said I think the number was ridiculous. 
around about 500 billion. Well, I've just found an article from The Guardian. Um, and I'm just going to read a couple of bullet points from it because uh, I, I was right on the money. Okay. Pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> since 2007, the UK has committed to spending £1.162 trillion at various points on bailing out the banks. This figure has, however, fluctuated wildly during the period, and by March 2011, it was £456.33 billion. That the four hundred and fifty six point three three billion figure breaks down into hundred and twenty three point nine three billion in loan or share purchases, which required a cash injection from the government to the banks, and three hundred and thirty two point four billion in guarantees and indemnities which haven't actually been paid but were offered to shore up the failing bank system. Of the hundred and twenty three point nine three billion the Royal Bank of Scotland received 45.80 billion, Lloyd's 20.54 billion, Northern Rock 22.99 billion, Bradford and Bingley 8.55 billion, and a, tw- and a further 26.05 went on loans to support deposit. So I remember drafting a blog post which I didn't post. Uh, for reasons that I won't reveal. I didn't press send on it. Um, because at that time, it looked as though the government weren't going to support business and individuals in general in a comparable way to how the banks were supported in 2007. Now, I've not done any research on this specifically because it's just a general point that you've you've made Stephen which which is very interesting yeah but I would like to make the unresearched suggestion that the banks got more than what the country is going to get now from this pandemic now I've got no figures to back that up but I'm going to do the research and I'm going to respond on the blog post for this podcast episode because I am interested to see where it tallies up purely for personal interest um no I I'm I'm with you yeah I'll I'll look forward to um seeing what what your research turns up um on on that I think it's an it's but what's interesting about it is that I think from the financial sector point of view, it was quite easy to determine the 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 quantity that would be needed. Um because it's a single it's a single sector, if that makes sense. So you yeah. know exactly where the problem is and, and the scale of it, and then you work work with that. I think the problem we have now, as I said, is that it's it's not hinging on the financial sector, but it's impacting a broader spectrum of all services and industries across the country and will also trickle in, have an impact on other things that may not have been impacted the same way. So unemployment levels, um, you know, for, for instance, may potentially be higher. So with a lot more businesses 
sort of struggling and potentially, you know, failing in compared in comparison to the two thousand and eight period. I don't know if it'll be comparable more or less. I don't think it, I I don't see it being less. I could see it being at least equal, if not more. Um, so it's a different set of it's a different sort of set of metrics that the, the government has to measure in terms of health. I mean, if they did it comparatively and said, right, okay, we we provided four hundred and let's call it four hundred and seventy billion to bail out the banks, that equivalent amount of money distributed across all services and sectors, um, and sizes of services and and businesses therein, small, medium, large, plus the the furlough scheme. You know, so obviously the furlough scheme would be part of that financial contribution. So if you add in all of these things, what does that look like? Um, I don't know if there's some some concern around the Brexit situation um, around it that has any impact on what the gov- how much the government is willing to actually spend and what it's willing to do, whilst we you know are mooting a, a no deal Brexit sort of situation and what impact that has economically for the country as well on top of that so yeah your as i said your research i would quite look forward to seeing what we actually turn up no it will be interesting uh, it will be interesting to see because um there's almost a scenario which might arise where i mean the uk defaulting on its debts is not a scenario that I ever thought one could consider. I'm I'm sure they wouldn't allow a country to be in that position, but who knows? Who knows? I, I think was... I think I think it got close. Uh, yeah, I think, I think I'm not it, surprised. I, I think it, it it got close. Um, I'm I'm not surprised. I think just like just like with the uh, the the oil price, I think everyone's waiting for those um, negative interest rates to uh, to. To, to happen because that would have only have a positive impact on, on people's uh, well-being well I mean not from a business point of view but well it's interesting that you say that because there have been negative rates in various parts of Europe for some time now and I've read quite a few articles uh, from economic papers where essentially People are saying, well, it's not worked. Actually, for example, people in Germany, in one report that I read, even though they are having to essentially pay to have their bank accounts and pay to store their money in the bank, they are still not spending. And I can't see that if this country, from a average consumer perspective, I don't think that people paying for bank accounts is going to make people spend money i just don't see how that logic will play out over here because the average joe doesn't have a lot of disposable income anyway yeah and the the period that we're entering into again is not too dissimilar dissimilar to what it was and yeah yeah, the, the concern at that point isn't isn't about going out and spending it's about security isn't it? And I think yeah. during times of uncertain uncertainty, 
I don't think people atypically become frivolous. <laughs> well, know? I've heard, and, and that's what you would think. And I, I'm certainly not spending money on things that are not necessities at this moment. But I heard that um, Vista Village um, opened up uh, out of lockdown and apparently uh, you couldn't get in or out of Vista. So <laughs> there are some people <laughs> who've got some pent-up demand which they have to ease by by splurging on luxury goods. So, um, but but you, know. you have to consider that Vista is still a, a, a discounted outlet. So... There is it, that in terms of what you, you know. So in terms of prices, it 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 becomes relative. So I'll give you an yep. interesting. So I'll give you. I'll, I'll give you a more interesting comparison then. So in Geneva, so Geneva's easing of the lockdown was probably at least about three weeks ahead of the UK's um, Geneva in Switzerland um, yep. ahead of the UK's sort of lockdown, and the high end. Um, shops there. So when I say your high end, I'm talking about your ten thousand dollar handbag type high end stores. Yeah. The the weekend that all of the shops were allowed to reopen, the queues at all of these high end boutique stores was ridiculous. It was a beautiful weekend weather wise where everyone could have gone to barbecues and gone and enjoyed the sunshine and so forth. But what did a lot of them choose to do? They elected to queue to go into a lot of these ultra high-end stores. So, yeah, at the same time, I, I, do, get, I do get what you're saying. Um, so some people will, but I know a lot of people won't in the face of uncertainty around you know a job and all of these things yeah i agree with you on that i agree with you on that so schools the government have had to reconsider what they were planning to do about schools um it's going to be otherwise known as making a u-turn well there have been a volley of u-turns um, over the last couple of months or so, there's been U-turns and missteps, quote unquote, um, all the way through. But you know, we're going to save some of those criticisms for another for another podcast. But this one's really important, the schools one, for me, um, because it has been a farce from when we went into this lockdown, and it's still a farce now. Now, although children of, I believe, reception age and year six, in primary school at least, I, I can't remember about secondary school, uh, were allowed to go back to school at the beginning of this half term, which was, I think it was the 8th of June from memory. Um, and Yes, it was half sec secondary in terms of preparation for exams and whatnot. Yeah. And I think the the headline is that only half half the kids that could have gone back have gone back, um, and that's very understandable because there is clear concern about the virus and about the fact that most of the country is still in some form of lockdown. The virus has not 
gone and you want people to congregate in classrooms it doesn't feel comfortable and I'm not surprised that half people haven't sent their children into school and the government's plans to enable all year groups to go back to school has been shelved. Now, September is going to come out really quickly because we're pretty much at the end of June now. Um, July. If I can, if I can, if I can jump in quickly there, I think from yeah. the update that came out today, which uh, I'm, I'm sure you said at the beginning you intended to listen to but didn't hear. Um, what Mr. Johnson had said is going to happen that from September, schools are going to re reopen for all ages. Come September. Come September. Yeah. So for for now, the schools that have been able to reopen and students have been able to go back will remain and they will continue with, with that until the summer break um, proper. Yeah. Um, but for those that haven't opened, the plan is for all schools come September, for all, for all years to be back. Okay. Well, 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 that's good. Finally, at this late hour, we have some clarity. The concern to follow on from that update is, well, the UK have been slow at everything in relation to the pandemic. If you compare ourselves to our European neighbours and uh, counterparts in other parts of the developed world, there are updates and bulletins about COVID-19 cases rising in China. There are updates about ra uh, rising cases in other parts of Europe. Germany. So, yep, Germany, it's, 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 it's been spiking. And Spain. And Spain. Um, from my point of view, I'm no scientist. I'm no medical professional. Just a regular guy speculating what, on what I think may or may not happen. But... I wouldn't be betting against a second wave in the early autumn. I wouldn't be betting against it. Now, my concern, and this may be extreme pessimism, but I'd rather prepare for the worst than not, is that a second wave... hits these shores around that time. Now, the reason why I'm projecting that time is because if we are two months behind everyone else and we've started to hear about new cases in China for about eight weeks now, well, I'm only just doing the logical and simple man thing and added on two months to us and that pretty much takes us to September. Now, I'm not suggesting or trying to insinuate that we should stay in lockdown be for, uh, because of the fear of an increase in cases. Because I think there almost certainly will be an increase of cases um, when lockdown gets removed. But what I would want to hope doesn't happen is that we get a spike 
that reaches the levels that we saw around the Easter period of a thousand deaths per day. So I don't know if the government are pricing that into their plans is the, the short version of that uh, statement there. So again, from the update today, um, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing what uh, Mr. Johnson said uh, when I say what I'm about to say, but effectively he said that they do not anticipate there being a second wave of COVID-19. He believes, <laughs> he believes that, so I think the steps that have been put in place would be able to better track, trace, isolate, and contain any outbreaks that do occur. Now, it's an interesting one talking about the situation with China, um, Germany, and Spain. So I think Germany was the most recent one spoken about, um, where certain areas have gone back into lockdown again. And I think it's crucial to actually sort of understand the size and scale of the areas that they're talking about. Yeah. If they had said that Germany in its entirety have gone back into lockdown, that's an entirely different position to talking about a, rem a small village somewhere or a small town somewhere. Similarly with China, if you consider China's population, let's not, let's not forget about that, 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 billion, that billion dollar mark in terms of population. Yeah. Right? If they said China had gone into lockdown in its, in its entirety, that's a, an entirely different uh, view. So I think the most significant flare-up in China, there was a particular market area where they tested, um, I can't remember what the number was. It, it was low hundreds, um, 200, 250 perhaps, um, yeah. traders there. It may have been an even smaller number than that. Either which way, about 45 of them um, came back um, COVID-19 positive. And I think the alarming thing there was the high prevalence in terms of the number tested. So it must have been quite a small number. I can't remember the exact one. Apologies. Um, but I just remember that it was around 45 people that, that tested positive for it. So what they then did is they then locked down that whole area and went through the whole tracking and isolating of the people who would have been in and around that particular market market area. Um, the significant points of note there wasn't so much that there was all of those that tested positive. It was more that none of them had exhibited any symptoms. Whereas before, you were getting, you know, people exhibiting more symptoms. They exhibited yeah. no symptoms. So that was a particular um, issue. And other parts of Asia have experienced sort of different levels of, you know, tiny resurgences um, that, have, that have happened and measures have been put in place to try and reduce that. Uh, across the piece, you don't hear the finer details over this side of the world because that's how local news works on a global scale. Yeah. Um, Spain, similarly, in terms of the flare-ups that they've had there, um, small enough areas that have been contained. So I think what Boris was alluding to was that, yes, there will be, you know, little, little localised 
flares where lockdown is eased and there's more interaction of you know cases that will come up. But the idea behind the robust testing and track and trace and everything that we've learned from the experience so far would be able to help contain a lot of these local flare-ups because it would be a bit more obvious. Before, it was sort of like, you know, driving at night without headlights. You didn't know where it was. You weren't able to track where it was. You didn't have that, that, that regional map of the cases that you could sort of see where everything sort of happened. They were just firefighting blind yeah. just when it popped up. So the idea is to have more robust systems that allows you to identify as early as possible, reliant on, as he, as he often says, the, the British people's good common sense to, you know, immediately notify if they're symptomatic, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, he, you know, he believes that a lot of this will stop there being a second wave of the magnitude uh, in terms of deaths and people in hospital and people on um, intensive uh, care units. Well, I wonder who has given him the advice that he has regurgitated to the public. I hope it's not the same advisors who suggested that herd immunity would be the way to go because we now know what the impact of the delayed lockdown has caused, let alone the additional lives they could have saved by not even considering herd immunity. I mean, personally, I that doesn't fill me with any confidence because the management and the strategy deployed by our esteemed politicians from a general citizen's point of view, i.e. my point of view, um, was, was very poor. And then for it to be suggested now that they don't think it's going to... Well, they, they, they're suggesting um, that you know they're not expecting a second wave. I've got no reason why I can be confident about why they think that. So... I'm still going to be pessimistic and say, I think there's a second wave coming. Um, and I guess when I say second wave, I'm not necessarily saying that it's going to have the same impact mm. or peak anywhere near what happened around the Easter period. But I guess... There's, a, there's an inevitability to, yes. to it, right? So the idea of the lockdowns that, that have occurred across the globe, I think the, the key word in all of that conversation is suppress. So the idea wasn't to kill, get rid of, oust, whatever you want to use, the virus. It was yeah. to suppress it. So, you know, that, that's akin to you using the word defer when we were talking about the various taxes that were, you know, deferred to Q, Q4 of um, 2021. Um, so you suppress something for long enough so that you get a handle of it, you get 
effectively your your ducks in a row in terms of some sort of process of dealing with it, and then you have to not stifle uh, life in the country uh, any further, and see how it see how it goes. Um, no one no one knows, and uh, <laughs> me regurgitating in a paraphrased way what the uh, PM um, has said today was by no means meant to reassure yourself or anyone oh. anyone listening um as such per se it was just to put that information out there based on based on what i what i've heard um i think it it's it's an instance where um cynicism or pessimism is a semi healthy state to exist in for a period of time Tying that back into uh, the health element that we spoke of from the beginning, so yeah, you, the hand hygiene um, protocols that have been re- you know repeatedly put out there um, again will be a thing that that remains, and long may it remains just as good practice going forward. Anyway, um, yeah, the use of hand sanitizers it's an it's an interesting. One as well. Uh, again, I can see that being a practice that remains for a certain increased percentage of society um, in general. Anyway, um, so the, the all of the measures that we put in place to protect ourselves. So again, the exercise. You know, they keep speaking about the your your natural immunity. So the stronger your immune system, uh, the more resistant you are. Or, or less susceptible to certain conditions, um, again, may resonate and take hold. So that, that health drive in terms of exercise and eating better and so forth may, may get wrapped up um, in, in, in that. Um, for myself, the, the, the fashion statement of 2020 is going to be face masks. Um, <laughs> and as a trend going forward for a period of time, is something that will will be there for a while. I think in a lot of Asian countries, uh, India, uh, China, Japan, uh, the wearing of face masks has been quite widespread for an extended period of time. A lot of that hinges off the quality of the air. Um, yes. And, you know, if anything, lockdown has shown us the impact on the environment uh pollute you know transportation pollution and other manufacturing processes actually have on on the planet um on the waters on the air quality uh yeah. if you go back to india you know certain 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 sites what haven't been possible for over like 15 years where you can see like the taj mahal from a certain part of the country that's actually not that far away that shouldn't be a surprising yeah. thing to actually see in the distance but you haven't been able to for over well over a decade because the level of the smog in the atmosphere has been that dense so the you know the other element of of, of health is you know the linked to the environment and the quality of air for instance, in terms of respiratory disease in, in, in particular, yeah. uh, is, is quite 
is, is quite a significant and important thing. How, how do we actually maintain or how do we realize the benefits of the impact on the environment and the positive changes uh, that happen uh, going forward as we come out of lockdown? Um, one of the things for me as well that I've noticed, so again, I spoke about that walking with friends type activity um, yeah. that's that's become a thing in the absence of alternative things to do out. Yeah. Well, you know, when they change the rules, so you're allowed to meet up to six different people from different households, um, you started going for walks. If you go through a lot of the big, more popular parks, what you've seen for the first time in a long time is just how happy people are to leave their rubbish in a beautiful setting. So I walked through a park uh, with one of my friends and it was just quite alarming just to see scores of carrier bags full of rubbish. Carrier bags full of rubbish, you know. So listen, yeah. they, picnics have happened. I get that all very exciting. You met up with people. But the picnic happened and you've packed away all of the rubbish into a carrier bag. So it's in a singular thing that you can pick up and carry. But you left it in the middle of the in the middle of a field and the yeah. empty bottles and cans and so forth. So you know, when I talk speak about the environment, there, there are lots of different elements there for it. You know, the water is an important one in terms of pollutants going into the water. You'll see the the quality of that in, improve. The air quality in the most polluted parts of the world again has been immediately evident. But I think even you know in England, in London, and so forth, there have been significant percentage improvements in the air quality measures that are there. Now across Europe, remember that there are the targets in terms of air pollution levels um, that. The, the government needs to make sure are met by a particular year. And then I think, again, another thing that's highlighted during the lockdown period is how much closer to those we've gotten during those periods. So yeah. going forward over the next few months, as, as you may have noticed as well, uh, and, and sorry, the number of road users, yeah. not, not just those queuing for McDonald's, um, but the number of road users in, in general has increased quite significantly with more people yeah. going back to work uh, and more people going to other areas to either visit people or do other leisure activities that they can in, in different groups. So all of this will have an impact on what the next phase of normality looks like. Yes. Yes, it will. It will. Um, the environment is a, is is an interesting thing because ESG has become the buzzword of the last couple of years in financial markets. Uh, from memory, uh, ethical environment and social governance. I can't remember what it stands for now. I'm going to have to Google that. Um, it's just left my mind there. But it's all linked to sustainability, environment, and what businesses 
what processes and procedures and policies and development businesses are included in, to consider the environment and sustainable living and sustainable business with regards to the environment. So it will be interesting to see if COVID-19 accelerates that or, or not, because there will need to be a consideration of how we power the planet in a way that doesn't exacerbate existing environmental issues and or create new ones because the pessimist to me says well who's to say we won't have to regularly go into a lockdown scenario and how can we lock in some of the gains the unintended gains that we're getting from not polluting the planet how could we make that more sustainable so i'll be interested to see what comes out over the next couple of months on that because i know there are different organizations that are that are producing papers around the environment and and what positive effects have been recorded since the lockdown and that kind of brings me on to tech now Stephen, earlier on you mentioned that covid19 has essentially made businesses pivot into directions that they might not have otherwise gone such as you know a restaurant business going online and I've got um, a friend uh, close by where I live who, sh who opened a shop I think it was literally just one week before lockdown and he very quickly had to pivot and turn his what he thought would be his sit-down restaurant business into a takeaway business um, and also use online media to promote his business in a way that he probably thought he wouldn't need to because people should just walk past and, and see his, his, his restaurant. So people will need to transform how they do business. And I certainly have had to spend more time and more money on Amazon than what I would normally do. Uh, mainly because they were the go-to option for me and my family to get essentials during the lockdown period. And lots of other businesses will need to do the same thing. And a lot of other businesses have been forced to do the same thing. So I'm interested to see what developments, technology, businesses, organisations take up because of the lockdown we all know about the impact of tech in remote working there was a period of time where for this podcast i actually wanted to buy a webcam and uh, a high-end webcam and i couldn't buy it so i looked at mid-range webcams couldn't buy that and looked at low-range webcams and i couldn't buy that actually there wasn't one webcam i, I could buy on amazon i was thinking why is that and it hit me Obviously, everyone's working from home. So, yeah. over and above the webcam issue and people having to adopt a new way of working, I'm interested to see how else tech will now influence businesses and how they operate. So, 
Stephen, what do, you, what do you think will be the things that we see immediately as businesses start to resume work? Um, so I think, yeah, the, the, the grand social experiment that all organisations had the opportunity to assess um, because of lockdown was the working from home model. So the scarcity of uh, certain equipment for sale on, on, on Amazon and other locations was, you know, a, a noticeable thing. I think other people have, have noted similar things to myself. And uh, I, I hear a lot more conversation about the, the, the quality of equipment that's being used. Um, software, uh, you know, different software technologies have played quite a significant part uh, in that. So uh, Microsoft Teams, for example, has seen a significant rise, particularly from a, from a governmental agency uh, and NHS point of view, um, so much so that uh, Microsoft Teams is now going to be centrally funded um, by NHS England for, for trusts as the medium of, of choice. So you have a natural evolution of um of of the type of activity and and the, the way in which or the medium of the activities that you traditionally sort of took part in um from a from an appointment point of view so a lot of face to face appointments now have the ability to be conducted via a video conferencing uh means be it Teams or other bespoke software that organizations uh, choose to use um, yeah. that save you having to travel uh, quite far to attend those. I think that's, a, that's an impact that we will see sort of, you know, straight away and, and has already happened in terms of like the NHS, for instance, um, whereby people are still being able to attend appointments virtually where where it wasn't previously practical due to health health uh, reasons or other restrictions um so that that's one to to keep an eye on the actual evolution of technologies that allow for uh, uh, more people to communicate and be in touch uh in a face-to-face -face point of view from a business point of view in terms of uh, adaptation going forward as well. The immediate impact um, that was able to be realized is the cost of people traveling to meetings. So you now don't have a large section of your work workforce traveling to and from meetings claiming those excess mileage, mileage yeah. mile and, and so forth. And I think there's been a quite a noticeable amount of, of, of money not actually flowing out towards those costs with a potential increase in productivity. So your two hours or three hours of commuting between uh, meetings during a day have been spent actually in other meetings or doing other actual work because you haven't had to even leave your front door to attend yeah. you know these meetings that would have taken you 30 miles in one direction and 20 miles in in in, in the next so that's going to be 
something that a lot of businesses uh, and companies will look at as as well, uh, yeah. deploying more and utilizing more, which again is going to have an interesting impact in terms of um, the use the use and need of office space. So I already know several people whose uh, com- com- the companies they work for have started to either close uh, London-based offices um, already, um, making everyone work from home because, you know, that that immediate cost saving is quite significant. I think that will then in turn lead to a diversification of the use of uh, the buildings in large cities in particular, whereby a large proportion of the companies that traditionally existed will have a working from home element. So I think it it may potentially present a new business opportunity in terms of how you manage uh, that space. So you could potentially create a a meeting-based rental market for for areas um, that, that are that already exists for like larger conferences and, and so forth, yeah. but just on a more ad hoc sort of like semi-regular basis. So the, the cost of renting, renting a room for a meeting once a month versus leasing the, the building, um, you know, for however many years or that monthly lease cost versus renting an office space for a meeting once or twice a month is going to be very different, isn't it? So I think, yeah, different, different opportunities will present itself from a technological point of view for, for businesses in terms of how people actually get together and have meetings, um, even interviewing. So during this period, uh, I know people have actually started uh, new, new jobs or have actually been interviewed under these set of circumstances as well via... Yeah. Um, digital technologies which has proven to be successful um so company and going back to your your friend that you said who had started a restaurant and had to adopt uh, the use of different marketing strategies from a social media and uh, electronic uh, advertising point of view to, to generate business again i think a lot more people and companies will become uh, quite savvy to the use yeah. of technologies. I think yeah. different different industries, again, um, would have been impacted as well uh, yeah. through to the entertainment industry um, because cinemas have been closed for the, the past few months. Um, there have been a lot of you know main major releases that have been rescheduled for later this year. Um, Tenet being, you know, the Christo- Christopher Nolan movie being the, the next, I think, big release post-lockdown that's actually coming out. Um, yeah. But a lot of the networks and companies have changed their sort of online platforms or their online offerings um, to go straight to that in-home offering rather than a cinema release. So is there the potential for disrupting or changing how that model works? Do you, do you create a dual release market for, for, for movies? Um, 
whereby people were quite happy to watch movies at home rather than going to the cinemas if there's going to be more risk there and less you know less seating capacity to maintain better social distancing if that remains a sort of medium to long termish sort of state that we uh, stay in yeah um i think tech tech not otherwise in terms of transportation so the plan was for for in england for everything to be fully electric by when was it 2013 well i thought it was 2050 i i doubt they'd get everything fully electric by 2030 so whatever the date is we're not doing i'm not doing very good with my 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 dates either and my (laughs) uh, today (laughs) um but there, there is the plan for that. So you have the, the, the expansion and the extension of the congestion charging zones. Yeah. Um, Mr. Mr. Khan has come under some fire for the increase in certain charges in, in London, um, which seem a bit inexplicable given the, the, the lessening of the, the congestion charge. Yeah, that's what they changed. They had changed the length of it, so running till 10 p.m. on a midday as opposed to 6 and having the charge actually also running on weekends. Um, sorry, that's not really my point. My point is around the actual technologies in terms of vehicles. So with with the governmental plan of, you know, phasing out um, and introducing electric-only vehicles and the obvious impact on the environment in terms of pollutants and what you know the overall objective is of changing the the type of vehicles that we have has been evidenced quite obviously during this period with that massive reduction of the polluting vehicles not being yeah. on the road so we've we've seen some very good data and again i keep going back to india and china and a lot of those really, and even even America, you know, for the for the busiest cities in the world that suffer from it, the impact has been very clear and and evident. Um, I'm pretty sure there's a president somewhere, um, you know, in America who would say that that's probably fake news, um, <laughs> but but I think the the millions of people who are experiencing breathing fresh air for the first time and the return of the sense of smell or, or, or taste and <laughs> so forth um, will will attest to the fact that it's not really fake news um, and it's definitely a thing. So will this will this sort of you know go towards the feasibility or would this drive the the companies investing in developing battery technologies, you know, further so that we have higher capacities, um, you know, will this give them that spur to try and actually, you know, accelerate things a, a bit better? I don't know. That's, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a point to sort of debate. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Well, we've touched on tech and uh, we've we, we touched on tr- transport um, the, the item I want to just touch on 
now is relationships. Mm. And lockdown has forced families, roommates, partners, and other blended setups to quarantine together. And for the majority of people, it's a completely new experience to be imprisoned in your home with the people who you share your home with. And that will have caused a lot of stress for a lot of people for a multitude of reasons. Most definitely. Now, as we start to be given more freedoms by our esteemed politicians in Westminster, my mind goes to all the people who have struggled with their relationships with people that live with and people who they've not been able to communicate with in the way that they would normally do during this period. And I'm interested to see how the government, how employers and how self-employed people and employees themselves try to rebuild the relationships that have either been paused or otherwise during this period. Because I think it's probably the thing that, I don't know if it's been overlooked or if it's something that people are naturally talking about, but I'm aware that it can't be easy for everybody, especially where people may not be on best terms with the people that they've been quarantining with and the issues that that might bring up. Um, and for people who struggle with being in a place for an extended period of time and not being able to essentially be free. So I'm just interested to hear, and I've not tried to look for social issues caused by lockdown because I'm not pessimistic, melancholy person, but I just, I just hope that there are avenues that are visible to people that they can go to um, as lockdown is being sort of released so they can download any tensions that have been brought about because of the lockdown. Because I, I, I'll be honest, I, I thought that being in lockdown would be considerably more difficult for logistical reasons than what it has been. And otherwise, it's been perfectly fine for me in, in my household. But yeah, I guess I could just have been fortunate. You know, I, I'm not sure what I think where it has been for you, Stephen, and, and if you know of people that have really struggled with it. So I, I think, you know, a, a lot of how people cope with this uh, and what they have to deal with 
they're very personal and there's everyone a lot of people exist under different circumstances um so you will have people who are uh, by themselves in whatever environment it is um flat house mansion or otherwise um you'll have people who are couples you'll have people who are families of various sizing sizes and uh age ranges which which um is significant when you're thinking about that element of it um and you'll have you know larger families and you'll have you know in terms of the age range demographic as well that that also has uh, a role to play in it so if you have uh, single elderly people um single elderly couples and, and so forth elderly elderly people who may live with uh grandchildren and you know all of these sort of change what what lockdown sort of looks like for you in terms of either social distancing what you're able to do not able to do yeah. i think in terms of talking about health the one aspect that uh didn't mention uh, at the beginning sort of spoke about the physical health right exercise nutrition but mental health is uh as significant and as important and as real a health issue to yeah. take into consideration in these conversations um Again, if we look back at the 2008-9 um, financial crash in terms of what happened to the economy and job insecurity and things of that nature, you saw a, a marked increase in uh, the prescription of uh, antidepressant, you know, antidepressants. Yeah. Um, you know, and a, a lot more people sort of seeking help. Um, similarly, during the lockdown period, um, isolation, I think, as, as human beings, we aren't, you know, by default, largely um, design, you know, able to cope with being in isolation and separation from other human contact uh, yeah. for extended periods of time. So that in, in, in itself is quite a taxing thing and quite a challenging thing mentally. I think there are a lot of groups that are out there to actually support this. The uh, NHS, in part, have uh, launched during the lockdown period uh, 111 uh, mental health crisis line. Um, there's an option two in, in certain areas that will take you through to uh, a crisis team where you could actually get uh, support if you are in a particular crisis state. There are all of the other uh, organizations that help support um, via crisis cafes and crisis sanctuaries, so like Mind, for example. Yeah. All of these organizations uh, have come together, um, you know, and they already existed. So don't get me wrong; they've already existed, but their their usefulness and their benefits to society has again been highlighted. Just how how vital they actually are in providing a route for people who either have been isolated and not feeling their best to actually speak to people and engage with people and get some support and advice. So 
just wanted to uh, say say that piece about that because <clears throat> I think that's well. Uh, I mean, I mean, again, I'm I'm not going to pretend to say I've looked, but um, I, I I don't know how visible those helplines are, um, and actually, it might be helpful if uh, Stephen, if you've got any links and then what we can do we can put them on the blog post for this episode and we can uh yep yeah, and then we yeah. can advertise that that yeah, way because sure. that, i mean that. i always say i wonder if or do we know and actually yeah we can use our voice to try and uh plug the gap if there is any. uh de- def- definitely uh we'll, we'll sign you know i'll signpost uh, a bunch of the different organizations that there are uh, available to contact um, to get some support if if need be. Excellent. Um, yeah, it's it it. I can imagine it's been quite a taxing time. So you sort of spoke about you know relationships. I think it's quite a testing time for any level of relationships as well. Being in that constant lockdown state with one another, whereby typically you may have gone to work for eight hours during the day and come back together of an evening and, and so forth. Um, yeah. It's usually, you know, usually under a sort of holiday, holiday circumstances whereby you spend an increased amount of time with, with partners <laughs> and, 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 and so forth. Um, so, but, but this, this hasn't been that same kind of holiday experience that, uh, <laughs> you know, for, for many yes. For many people, I mean, you, you don't tend to go on holiday for the two week for two weeks with the intention of doing all the cooking and cleaning yourself, right? Yeah. Um, so there are different pressures there. Obviously, there are different um, elements of of unfortunately, you know, people who live in circumstances where there is um, a, a abuse of of different kinds, yeah. by going to work or being able to go to the supermarket or going out to, to visit friends for a couple of hours offers some respite um, during during the day. So those people potentially, you know, have, have lost that during that period of time. Um, that hours exercise a day may, may, be, may have been some respite for them, um, yeah. potentially. Um, I think some, some other things that have happened uh, that you alluded to was the sort of cohabitation. So I know of uh, some people who were in the early stages of relationships, whereby I think they, they were on, they were on the precipice of, well, things are going great. Should we, shouldn't we? (laughs) And they've opted, they've opted to live together for this period of time so that they can uh, spend that, you know, be together rather than, not be together. Not be so. together. And again, as I said, all of the elements of this that are a grand social experiment <laughs> for different reasons. So what what better way to fast track your understanding about whether or not you can actually stand this person that you believe that you really liked? Oh, that sounds like an episode in itself. Than by spending three months together with them for 23 hours a day. I mean... For some people, solitary confinement must be easier. Um, but you know, I, I think there, 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 
<laughs> that, that, that was a joke about solitary, solitary confinement. No, well, um, you, as, you as say a... that, but, um, you know, it's, it, it's a joke I've, I, I've, I've played out with my friends before, but, it, you know, meeting someone for the first time and being in that honeymoon period where you're dating someone and living with someone 24-7, 365, they are very different experiences. Oh, so yes. mixing the two at the wrong stage, I'd just be really interested to see how that plays out. That sounds like an episode. I'm, I need to find people for that. Yeah, it, it's sort of, it's sort of, you know, it, it's one of the, it's the situation where you either ease someone into all of your annoying habits a bit at a time Ooh. over over a period of time, as 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 normally happens in relationships, <laughs> right? So you go on your dates and you spend the odd night and this that the other, but you don't actually cohabit for a period of time, so you you don't get exposure to all of these things. It's yeah. like you know, but now, well, you you don't have a choice. So unless you've uh, <laughs> un, unless you've won won an Oscar, um, you know, and can main, maintain. <laughs> that level of performance that 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 first date level of performance for, <laughs> for, for three months um then then the oscar the tony the bafta um <laughs> would be well deserved although that's also not healthy um yeah so that in terms of relationships that's an interesting one in terms of family again you know i think it subject to what the work circumstances are as well. I, I know some of my, my close friends have struggled with, you know, both parents being home and working full time with two young children, very demanding young children yeah. being at home at the same time, having, having to juggle being in a lot of uh, conference call meetings and mixed in with not actually having um, formal, proper working environments um, in terms of desk setup and, and, and so forth. So, you know, there are different challenges, but, you know, some people sort of say it's a, it's a great opportunity to, to build some bonds uh, with family. Yeah. Um, and again, the use of technology has, has helped a lot of people under these circumstances. So I know a lot of families who, amongst themselves, um, have regular quiz nights, you know, via via Zoom, and and so forth. I think a lot a lot of people have become more connected on a regular basis with groups of people that that are their friends that they haven't typically met as frequently yeah. before, and then after some weeks of meeting regularly on a Friday or whatever it is, I think uh, I, I was told, they, they sort of said to each other, why haven't we done this before? You know, <laughs> rather, than, <laughs> rather, than, rather than spending six months trying to agree a particular date that they can all get together and meet, sort yeah. of like phys physically, and they've transitioned from that to, to meeting every two weeks via Zoom, for like a catch up, you know. Um, so we're talking about the, the you know the changes going forward into the future as well. I think I mentioned entertainment, but more from a the entertainment industry point of view. But I think just from a social level, 
in terms of how we interact with people and the types of things that we do. I can see that also evolving and, and, and changing. Yeah, so I for, think so. For, for myself, I've attended um, a lot of Zoom parties. I've attended a Zoom carnival party um, replete with 500 plus guests, um, a percentage of whom would were dressed in full carnival outfits with wings and feathers and and all manner of things. Thanks for the invite. <laughs> um, yep, uh, that 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 was a thing. I, I will send you an invite to the next one. Um, so you know, a, a lot of these things sort of happen, and and a lot of DJs again not being able to be out in the clubs. Um, yeah, clubs, you know, and close contact places are not open for business come July. Um, pub, pubs are, however, but a lot of the DJs and so forth, again, have taken to the streaming platforms to actually still provide, you know, club nights, but from the comfort of your own home. Um, I had written an article um, uh, about this, uh, available on flystroke.com, if you wanted to uh, check it out. Um, about you know Friday night Friday night party, it's you know how do you have a night out in you know uh, and and it and it's possible and yeah. I think the fact that you can actually interact with your your friends and actually be together albeit virtually but still enjoying the same activity will present again new opportunities for people, particularly for those people who are potentially shy about going out. Um, you do yeah. have that section of society who are, you know, a, a bit reclusive, but, you know, I think it's now exposed means of them participating in in social activities from the comfort of their own home, you know. Um, so there, there's some positive, positive different things that have come out of the situation, but relationships, relationships, I think, is probably proved to be a mixture. So some good, some challenging, and some difficult. I mean, I should imagine uh, the the dating apps have had a terrible time um, <laughs> over over Whoa. this over the over this period. I mean, a lot more connections, but I think a lot more conversations, perhaps, but no actual <laughs> <laughs> no actual seeing the person live for a period of time. Um, well. I don't know. I don't know. I, I I'm I'm speculating there. I think that's probably the conversation. Have you have you heard any? I've heard from... through the grapevine like there's been lots of Zoom first dates and Teams and WhatsApp first dates and I've, I'm hearing about dinner dates over over Zoom where you know wine has been brought out and people are eating their dinner in front of the camera and having first dates over 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 Zoom. And that's what I'm hearing through the grapevine. So. Well, I, I don't know. I, I, I would actually suggest that maybe um, the the usage of those dating apps have probably skyrocketed because there's there, there's more time for people to uh, to shop around in inverted commas for for for, for a date. So I'm actually going to do that research, too, because um, I am keen and, you know, I like stats as much as you, Stephen. So I am keen to see um, what those stats say. Yeah. Dating app stats. So I'm writing that down as I'm. <laughs> yeah. No, that, yeah, that that that's a, that's an interesting fa uh, interesting interesting 
I mean, and this ties in relationships and probably tech in in, in this piece. But um, Zoom has been used, and other video conferencing tools have been used for almost every conceivable scenario over these last couple of months. I'm aware of funerals over Zoom. I'm yeah. aware of marriages over Zoom. I'm aware of first dates taking place over Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm obviously aware of people using Zoom for work. And I'm aware that, you know, estate agents at this present moment of time are, are using Zoom and other video conferencing tools to virtual 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 tours tours of houses and and i know a lot of estate agents so we've been doing this for ages but actually not every estate agent would do that and if i go to a random estate agent's website now the chance of me actually finding a video or a live stream of a property is, is 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 very slim um so it is forcing people to to digitize uh which which can only be a good thing um and i'm hoping now that we are starting to see what the new normal i've been trying to avoid saying that but the new normal might look like we might be able to start working towards a form of normality um so stephen as always it's been a pleasure Likewise, a pleasure as ever, as always. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I'll look forward to the next one. So have a good evening.